males are born, men are built. This is the Great Man Podcast, where we want you to build great men as you allow other men to build you. Join New York Times bestselling author Stephen Mansfield, along with seasoned leaders of men, as we bring a wide range of experience and expertise to help you become the great man you are designed to be. Welcome to the Great Man Podcast. This is The Build. Now, every other week, uh, we rotate between ourselves and Stephen Mansfield. Stephen Mansfield comes on and he does the talk. He'll talk about a subject at about a thousand feet, you know, and have all the intellectual stuff going on and different studies and all of that. And then we come in at about five feet and talk about how it relates to our lives and how we can work it into the systems of our lives. So that's what we're doing today. My name is Anthony Flemons, and I'm one of the co-hosts. And today with me, I have Jay Kim. Jay Kim. What's up? And this is uh, this is your second week, man, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't know Jay Kim very well, and I know him a bit, but I wanted to take two or three minutes here and just kind of uh, introduce you a bit more to who Jay Kim is. So Jay, you grew up where? Grew up in... Long Island in New York. Long Island, New yeah. York. In the suburbs. In the suburbs. And and where did you go to school? Went to uh, Herrick's High School. Herrick's. Yeah. Is that a private school or no. public school? It's a public school. It's a really well-known public school. Yeah. Don't all the schools in New York City have like a number or something? You didn't say the number. No, that yeah, that's like, that's in the boroughs. That's in like Queens, Brooklyn, Bronx, ah. and Manhattan. But in your area, it's just the name. Yeah, we're all we're out in Nassau County. There was it's just public schools. Gotcha. Yeah. And are you still in the city where you were raised or no? No, it's very suburban. Really? Yeah. So no no tall buildings or yes tall buildings? No. No? No, just a bunch of cookie cutter cape houses. Yeah. We're cool. Well, I just want to make sure that the the listeners get a chance to kind of know who you are. Is there anything that you want to tell us about you, man, or anything that we should know? Uh, before we get started. And if not, man, that's cool. And they can get to know you a- as we go along. Yeah. Every time I every time I lead a group, they always make fun of me because I keep talking about being a New Yorker. Yeah. But I feel like that is one of the things that defined who I was for a very long time. Yeah. And that was the guy who, you know, just the person keeps to himself. You know, I don't, I don't reach out to anybody. I figure it out on my own. I'm a Lone Ranger kind of deal. And when I moved here, realized pretty quick I didn't didn't actually have it figured out. Yeah, you know that's when I met you. I met the uh, the men of the men's ministry at our church, and yeah, I I feel like I still carry that with me though. Yeah, it, that is my big struggle. Is whenever we get to a point of being vulnerable or getting to a point where we're actually discussing something, my New York side comes in. You know, like I don't yeah, like I don't know how much I want to tell these guys. Yeah, it's a it's a culture shock coming down to the south because like yeah. people want to talk to you and people wanna stop you when you're at the grocery store. And I'm like, no. Now that's not just coming from New York because I remember coming from Dallas, man, and when I got here, I was actually on like a uh what do they call it when you go before you actually move there, uh 
scouting trip, I guess. Yeah. And my job sent me down on a scouting trip, man, to see if it was an area that I'd like to live. And so I'm down here a couple of weeks taking a look at the restaurant that they wanted to send me to. And I remember being out in Franklin, man, and this is coming from Dallas, Texas. So uh, I'm a black guy and we don't have a real great relationship with all police officers. Wait, what? Yeah, I am black, but <laughs> we, we don't have a great relationship or we're known for not having a great relationship in some areas and sometimes in some situations. Uh, but I was out in Franklin, man, and sitting uh, at a gas station. I had a map. This is how long ago this has been. I had a map unfolded, man, and I'm just looking at this map and a police car pulls up next to me. And I'm like, OK, here we go. I've been here less than two weeks. He motions for me to roll my window down and I roll my window down and he goes, hey, man, I noticed you're looking at a map. Is there somewhere I can help you find? And I was blown away, man, because literally in my life, I feel like it's the first conversation I ever had with a police officer where they were actually trying to help me and not uh, correct me or get me for doing something wrong, which I did a lot wrong. For the young people out there, a map is like Google Maps, but it's printed out really big and it's folded up yeah. in a weird way. Yeah. So it's not just it's just not culture shock coming from New York, man. But I just want to continue to give you moments, man, to take a few seconds and just yeah. kind of introduce the audience to you. But this week, man, we're going to be unfolding a little bit that Stephen talked about, and he called it slaying imposter syndrome. And producer Jay, like, is was that an accident? Like, Stating it that way, not slaying the imposter syndrome, slaying imposter syndrome as though it's a person almost like slaying Anthony Flemons, slaying Goliath, slaying imposter syndrome. <laughs> what do you see the difference being? I don't know, man. It just it, it reads differently. Slaying imposter syndrome like it's its own entity, like it's its own thing. Yeah. living and breathing because have if I had written it myself and I'm not a, a, a print artist or whatever they're called, I would have said slaying the imposter syndrome. And I was just curious if it was on purpose or just an oversight or something that we didn't notice. Oh, I think it's just what came out of Steven's creative brain. But yeah. I think slaying imposter syndrome has a, a personal level to it to me when I hear that versus slaying the imposter syndrome. That sounds a little far out there. It's somebody else. Something deal. else existing out yeah. there and slaying imposter syndrome feels very personal and like it affects, like it's coming from me. Well, cool. Yeah, he also, the way he treats it throughout the podcast where he says like imposter syndrome is an imposter. So yeah. it is kind of treating it like its own enemy. Yeah. An enemy, a yeah. thing, something specific coming to get us. But Stephen, Stephen really set us up well, man. And we're not going to spend a bunch of time on it. We'll probably spend uh, 30 minutes. But it said it happens when a man looks at his life and feels that he's done nothing that is valuable. It happens when a man looks at his life and feels that nothing he has done is valuable. Now, this is a familiar statement, but it's when a man kind of looks at his life and feels like he doesn't measure up. You ever felt that way, Jay? I, I heard that and I was like, oh, that's just Korean culture. I don't <laughs> really <laughs> don't add up. Yeah. I mean, you'll never amount to anything. So the you know, guilt, the guilt thing is built into your culture. Yeah. Like my dad was very encouraging. Great. He let me go to film school, pursue acting and filmmaking, but, uh, there's still culture was there, you know, like things are just never good enough. You know, he wasn't like that all the time, but that's the general gist. I don't want to overgeneralize that, but that is actually a strong part of a lot of cultures, uh, Korean culture, other Asian cultures, you know, African culture. Yeah. 
Is it because you're coming to a new place and you have to set a precedent? You have to stand up and be seen and be noticed as a, yourself and then represent your larger group? What do you feel like fuels that? It's part and parcel to the experience of growing up in Korea. Mm. You know, to get into, you know, when, when you're in primary school, then you, then you get into the next level. You have to pass a very rigorous exam. And then when you got to go to a good high school, you got to pass a very rigorous exam and based upon how good you do on that exam dictates the high school you go to. Got it. So if you don't do well, you don't, you end up not going very far in life. You know, you do very well, you end up going to the top universities. And so then you have to take another exam to get you into the top universities, you know, to get, if you don't go to the top universities in Korea, you kind of just, you, you don't make it past a certain level socially. And economically. So that kind of translates into how we raise our kids and how they go through their education process. I was not a very academically rigorous person. I had very lazy tendencies. I was more of an art C kind of person. I yeah. had stronger right brain. So every time I brought home the C's and D's, my parents would just be like, this isn't good enough. You know, <laughs> you need to, you need to work harder. Yeah. So do you, I noticed that the wording you said, he said he allowed me to go to film school. He allowed me to pursue this. Is that an uncommon occurrence yeah, uh, in I, your culture or in, in your experience? Typically first generation Korean parents, they, the, the, the fun joke is like, Oh, you're going to go to Habad or Yale, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> going to be doctor, lawyer, that or engineer, you know, like these are your options in life. And like, you're going to, you're going to take violin your whole life. You're going to play piano. You're, these are kind of like the typical things. Yeah. So when people hear that, like I was such a bad piano student that I was allowed to quit the piano <laughs> after four years, because we went through like 12 teachers, people, other Korean kids are like, ah, what? That's crazy. You know, I got to quit violin because I broke it. I got frustrated and I threw it across the room. <laughs> and that's something we need to get into at a later date. You you dealt with something that yeah. caused that kind of behavior in your life, but yeah. we'll we'll get into that in a, in a, in another, another episode. One, yeah. But the imposter syndrome and the way that that Stephen puts it is the imposter syndrome is itself an imposter. And I can yeah. imagine, man, growing up maybe in that household or with those kinds of expectations, he he talked a little bit about believing the lies that have been spoken over us or believing the lies that we've heard or people have spoken to us. And, man, I can imagine how that would set you up to have the imposter syndrome. I'm never going to match up. I'm never going to be big enough, never going to be smart enough, never going to be profitable enough. Like, do you still is that still echoing in your mind today? I, absolutely. The thing is, is that when it is your everyday existence, it kind of becomes like when I heard about imposter syndrome, the way that way that Stephen laid it out, I was I was like, I don't have that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and but when I break it down, like these things are just part of my brain, the way it functions. So it's not so much a voice saying you'll never add up. It's a voice knowing that I don't add up. Right. And (laughs) like it gets to the point where like I like. I can't identify the thing, the harmful, def, you know, deformities. He calls them, uh, what do you call it? Deformities of the soul. Yeah. And I can't even identify them sometimes because they're just part of how my brain works. Jeez. Yeah, it was it was kind of a trip, you know, taking these notes and 
diving into this topic really kind of brought to light a lot of the things that are that imposter heading in there because my brain just takes it as like, I know myself and I know the facts and these are the facts and that's it. It's like not acknowledging that these facts are riddled and influenced by other voices. Yeah. You know, knowing you personally, man, and having lived life with you for 10 or 12 years, man, like when I think of J. Kim, man, I think of a very bright guy, a very intellectual guy, a very wise man for your age. Does any of that actually resonate with you? I'm I'm good at BSing. That's what <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I spent a big portion of my life making sure that nobody could ever make me feel dumb again. Mm. Um, because I was because of what you were talking about before in my childhood, there was a lot of that. Yeah, I think all of us do that, though, man. Yeah, I mean, we're set. We're always looking ahead and and trying to tell things off to keep from going to subjects or areas that we don't understand quite well, and we want to direct the conversation towards things where we can communicate and can yeah. kind of espouse all these great thoughts and everything, man. But that's a, uh, that's, that's unique to that culture, I guess. I, I think it was unique to just the way I was wired. Yeah. You know, like, cause I would do anything to make sure I never felt that way again. And mm. that included making sure people felt stupid. Wow. Yeah. And so I would make them feel dumb, even though I didn't know a whole lot about that topic. I can BS my way to make somebody feel stupid. <laughs> and that was that was a skill set I had for a while and something that, you know, therapy and all, a bunch of, you know, walking with guys and discipleship is kind of working its way out of me. Yeah. But yeah, that, that that's part of it. If I, if I impress you with some trivia or whatever, it's. It is that calculated, that functioning. It's it's that negative thing, that deformity coming to light, basically. And I'm guessing that all men probably deal with it in similar ways, man. We we load our gun with the bullets that we feel like we'll need in a wide gamut of situations so we can just access those and shoot them out and just walk away. And having left the crowd like, man, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. You know, for us, man, with what we do in this weekly podcast and working so closely with Stephen Mansfield, like our main focus or main direction in life, man, is impacting men and leading men and sharing our lives with men. And JT and I used to always say sharing our blooper reel with men in the hopes that men will realize that I'm not alone. There are other broken men out there. Uh other than me. But for us, man, I think the biggest area of imposter syndrome that we probably deal with or that I deal with is, am I actually equipped to empower, educate, and give a man something that he can actually hold on to? Yeah. The way that I kind of see it is that when Stephen talks about the control room and he talks about this very healthy, natural thing our brains do, our imaginations can go and re- evaluate all these areas of our life. I feel like that discipline when it's done healthy, when it's done without the deformity, it actually brings you to a point where you realize how not qualified you mm. are. And in that place, that's the ideal place for leadership to happen. You know, like getting to that point and realizing I need to learn, I need to, you know, I need to lean on others. And coming from that point is 
actually where we can make do real good because if you're coming from the point of like I've got it figured out and I'm going to lead these guys because I got it figured out you're going to do a lot of damage and you're going to perpetuate this thought that because every time I have this thought that like I know exactly what I'm doing I know I I have this all figured out it's painted by past things that people have told me it's painted by what I heard in the media and culture growing up it's painted by so much and it's so flawed. And I, you know, every day we realize like, I didn't I actually don't have it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like when you're at that point, you're doing damage to men. You know, if I'm actively listening to you, man, I do feel like the imposter syndrome is alive and well, not only in myself, but in you, man, because I understand what you're saying is that we never want to take the posture that I got this figured out and I got all the answers. So I'm going to go and impart it to these people. But the reality is, and even Stephen said it, that all of us have done great things. All of us have yeah. done things that deserve to be recognized. And Jay, man, you have lived a life. You're 30, 40, 40, yeah. 40 even. Yeah. Yeah. You're 40 years old, man. And you've lived a life, man, and accomplished some things. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all the things that you want to accomplish, but you have come across some things, uh, surmounted some things heal some things, been able to uh, look into some mistakes and get better because of them. And I'm curious, man, why is it so easy for us to believe every negative thing about ourselves, but so difficult to believe the positive things that we hear? Because you said like this idea that you have it figured out might have came from what somebody told you or what you heard from this or the feedback that I got there. And I'm curious, man, like, how do we fight against that? Because if we can't listen to those times when people are trying to build us up, why is it so easy for us to listen to the times that people have lied or tried to tear us down? I think as a man, it it is about that default setting of if there is pain or if there's something negative it's bad so if i go through this process and i come up with something negative that's the worst possible scenario and i think the benefit of a a healthy like going back and finding where your deformities lie go back in your past or going to therapy or whatever yeah it takes away those pain points but at the same time it brings to light that this is, you have to think like, this is a healthy process. It's a good process. If I bring up a failure, that's a good thing. You know, if I'm evaluating and seeing that something's not where it should be, that's a good thing. But that's my point. It is a good thing when one of those negatives get brought up, but the way that you framed it and the information that you've received is, I I might be thinking this way because somebody told me, a good thing because somebody mentioned a good fact and I don't want to get caught up in that. And I get what you're saying. Trust me. We don't want to think more highly of ourselves than we should, but at the same time, shouldn't we be able to hear those positives, man, and let it build our confidence and build our ability to address certain situations in our life? Because that's what, that's the power of the imposter syndrome, man, is that Every little negative thing or curse that's spoken over us, we attach it and claim it and say, yes, I agree. And it rides with us forever. But those encouraging moments, man, I don't know that we put the same weight on those. I think there's a difference to the voices that you hear that come up or, or the, the, that influence your idea. Like my in, idea of manhood when I moved down here was 
built by culture. It was built by what I hear other people say. Even if it was encouraging, it created something in me that was unhealthy. And there's a difference between that and having a healthy control room and having people in there who actually encourage you and lift you up and say, actually, you, you did a great job with your son. You did a great job. And like hearing that is something that lifts you up. For me, it's it was always hard to receive a compliment. Right. Every man, I think. Yeah, it's kind of cringy. Like somebody's like, oh, you did a great job. I'm like, no, oh, it's okay. Yeah. I did are, all are right. You, are you setting me up to be able <laughs> to tear me down later? Yeah. You know, it's funny that when you say what you just said, you know, you've told me that probably 10 or 15 different times. Man, you did such a great job with your son. I can't believe the way that your children behave, man. We want to sit down with you as a married couple, a young married couple and pick your brain as to how to raise our kids. And if I'm honest in myself, Jay, just thinking back on those moments, I've never honestly taken that in. I've never honestly bought into what you are telling me because I'm so concentrated or so focused on the things that I do poorly that it's hard for me to see the great results of the things that maybe I stumbled my way through or asked my way through or prayed my way through. It's hard for me to see the positives, man. And I'm just coming to realize that right now. Yeah. We're genuine when we, my, my wife is like, you're going to meet with him. Like we need to sit down and ask them what they did. Cause whatever they did, <laughs> those kids are great. You know, like, we're like yeah. So, well, here, here's something that we need to kind of get into Jay. Like, if, if men were going to take a look and go to that control room, and, and I know that you said that that's one of the, the places that you want to work on. As a result of this podcast, you want to set up your control room. So what's your idea right now of what your control room looks like? Where is it going to be? Uh, how often will you go? Have you gotten that far? I'm, I'm starting to formulate. Like I get ideas when I hear Stephen talk about the places he goes. And like when I heard it, I was like, I don't do that. I'll never do that. If I'm ever evaluating something, a failure or success, it's always, you know, just passive. It's happening to me. Mm. Failure is coming to me. Memories of failures, memories of embarrassments just washing over me. And that I have no control over. There's no intentionality. And this idea of going somewhere and intentionally spending the time to let your imagination reevaluate, where am I? here where am i here in my family in my career and and like that to me that's something i never did yeah. and every time i come to this podcast it's like i'm like wow that's a concept of something that i don't do at all and right. i need to start that's awesome so and yeah just starting that discipline of just getting that and then I definitely want to invite other men into yeah. the process. You know, you know one thing I, I really want us to concentrate on is, man, we're all gravitating toward this negative and toward the things that we don't do well. But what if in these areas of our life that once we get in that control room, we try and just name three things that we feel we do well? Man, I think that would probably take me three hours, man. Yeah. If I'm honest, man, because I don't spend any time looking at what I do well. Even in my job as a leader, man, I'm concentrated. I'm taught. I am focused in on what's going poorly so I can turn it into one of the things that goes well. And then I can just forget about that too and move on to the next negative. Is that, is that in us as men or in people or because 
my wife is very encouraging, man. She's always picking out the things that I do well and encouraging me and things, but I'm always looking at what's negative. I I worked at a comedy club for a while in New York City and every single comic without fail. They're like, if the whole room, I'm killing it. Everybody is laughing. But there's that one person who's sitting there like this with arms crossed and just quiet. It's like, that's the only person I see. Mm. It's the only person I can focus on. I think that's just kind of our wiring. And I like the word Steven uses for the control room. It's a discipline. Mm. So something you have to intentionally do. And I think part of that discipline is evaluating where you've done well. This last year, I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to be better. I actually, you know, I guess it was four podcasts ago. We started praying for six weeks. You know, God make me a better man. I set an alarm in my phone. It goes off every night. There's several guys that I'm working with to encourage them to do the same thing. But just that small prayer, I'm not telling you I get some great light bulb every time, but there have been times, man, that when I say that prayer, that I am directed toward a specific area of my life, just in that immediate moment, man. And I just want us to get in the habit, man. One, I think that there is four areas that every man probably deals with this in. One is our spiritual life. Yeah. One is our spiritual life. I've lived such a despicable life or I've made so many mistakes or, or I don't, I don't read my Bible enough. I, I'm no good to the kingdom. And so I'm definitely not going to share that with anybody. I'm just going to, you know, let it be a part of my life that I kind of relegate to what I do in my closet. Yeah. Our spiritual lives. I think another area of our lives, man, where the imposter syndrome uh, peaks its head is our relationships, whether they're uh, marriages or girlfriends, boyfriends, friends, uh, casual relationships, just all of that. I think that we constantly get attacked uh, that we don't measure up in, in respect to relationships. Another two is kind of work, our work and what our ability is at work. And the last man is the one that we, we uh, feel a lot. You and I JT is our ability to lead relationships, work, life, leadership, any of those, (laughs) Ring a bell, all of them. All of them. All of them. At work, especially, you always feel, there's always that feeling like, you know, I'm doing good, but there are things that are, you know, that that these people see me do every day that informs their opinion of me. And, And so, like, they don't ever say it. I'm just picking up. My brain is just assuming. They think I'm unprofessional. They think I'm this. They think I'm that. And, and it's me, I'm doing it, mm. you know? And <laughs> it's like, I'll get, every time I sit down for my evaluation, I get a glowing evaluation, but like in my head, I'm like, oh, if I told them I was leading men, they'd think like that guy, <laughs> right? right? Was- and you work for an organization that's closely connected to our church. Yeah. And you think that they would still have that opinion. There was a, a person that I look up to a lot who yeah. works at that office. He started uh, going to the classes that I was facilitating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would like talk to me afterwards, like at work and stuff, just asking me about like, uh, and I'm like, I should be asking you, you know, you're the person I look up to, yeah. you know, like I don't, you know, and and so that's where it comes up for me is a lot of times I'm in these situations where I'm, you know, in a room and I'm supposed to lead but my insecurity is saying the only qualification I have is I was a guy who had the wrong idea of what manhood looked like. And 
I'm learning. Yeah. And I want to impart what I learn to other people. And that's the great place to start, Jay. Like, I have to encourage you in that, man, because a lot of men never come to that place to realize how ill-equipped they are. A lot of men are in their 50s and 60s and think that they have it all figured out. They don't have a friend. They don't have a three o'clock friend. They don't have a band of brothers. They have no idea what they're strong in, what they're weak in. They have no ideas relationally how people see them because they fail to ask the questions, man. And that's what we have to concentrate on, the things that we do well, the things that we do well. I I tell guys this all the time, Jay, that we have to speak more kindly to ourselves. We need to get in the habit as men to speak more kindly to ourselves because we talk about manly disciplines. That's a manly discipline that we need to all work on, man. And I think Mm -hmm. that it fights directly against the imposter syndrome, man. Yeah. It's also might seem counterintuitive, but I think understanding where you're weak in an honest way, you know, and and welcoming that moment of evaluation where you start going over the failures that would normally be excruciating and hurt Mm. and recognizing this isn't like what's making me hurt is the imposter syndrome. I'm supposed to welcome this and getting to that point where you're supposed to welcome the evaluating where I didn't where I fell short. Right. You know, and honestly doing it, though, not not one where it's like you'll never amount to anything, but just sort of like I didn't quite hit the mark here and understanding that, like, the reason why I didn't hit the mark there is because I don't have this figured out. Yeah. And I tried on my own to do it. And from that perspective, that is what kills the imposter syndrome, too, because we're so averse to facing that stuff, but like really honestly evaluating it. You know, it actually makes us stronger. You know, it, it's in the Bible, you know, it says, in my weakness, you are strong. Mm. And so I, you know, Paul says, like, I will celebrate my weakness. But just because it's from that point of view, you, you're you willing, you're desperate enough to reach out for help. You're desperate enough to reach out to others. But can we be motivated into doing great things from a negative? I think so. I, really? I, it's not a negative, though. I, I guess it's it's not a negative, but I think real greatness comes when a man recognizes that great manhood isn't something that I can do on my own strength. Mm-hmm. It's not some. It's not a concept that I can fully grasp and understand. Yeah, it's something I can be constantly learning. It's something I need help. And actually, great manhood starts from that moment of weakness where mm. you're like, I need your help. Yeah, and that's it. Because guys who never acknowledge their weakness, never lead. I think, I think they're the guys too, that Steven was talking about, about, uh, uh, how did he put it? Um, they're not being honest about their own abilities. There was a word he used, uh, man, I, I can't think of the word overbranding. Yeah. Overbranding man, you know, yeah. promising a lot more claiming a lot more uh, ability or, or all of this than they actually possess. And I remember Jay, when I, when I heard that, my mind went to this scene in this movie, man. And and this is going to kill my man card and kill my credit and all this. But I'm watching uh, the Hallmark movie channel. I'm into these movies, man. I'm a romantic at heart. So anyway, I'm, I'm looking at this movie, man. But the lights go out and there's this big event about to happen in this lady's house. And she's panicking and, and going crazy. And the lights are out. And so there's a, these two guys that are trying to get the affections of this woman. And one guy is the Eddie Haskell. 
you know, I, I know everything. I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm the brightest guy. I have a th- ton of ideas, blah, blah, blah. The other guy is an artist that works with driftwood and he's just kind of going through life and going to the next place every six months he's moving, but they're both trying to uh, lobby for this girl's affection. So the, the guy that is the Eddie Haskell of the group, he goes and he's looking at the breakers and all that. Nothing happens. And the guy that's uh, not the know-it-all had noticed a generator in the people's yards next door. He goes over, he gets a generator, plugs into the main power source, uh, starts a generator, lights come back on. Everybody's happy. But the guy that's the Eddie Haskell walks out of the room and goes, I did it. I did it. And he knows that he hasn't done anything, but the lights are back on. So why not take credit for it? Yeah. That kind of overbranding, man, is taking taking the acknowledgement of things that we haven't really put the work in for. Because remember, Steven said that one of his friends was about to. Well, he took over this company and and anybody he said a monkey could have led the company into recovery. But he took all the credit for it and then sold himself as a recovery artist or so to speak, or somebody that gets you out of the hole and into the green. And in, in those moments, man, he, he he said that it's just dishonest. It's a, it's a morality thing. It's a moral thing. If we are overbranding ourselves in that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was very simple too. He's like, that's, this is the way you solve it. Don't stop lying. Right. Stop lying. So again, uh, as we start to kind of get to a, a place where we can land this plane, uh, he mentioned a, a few different things, you know, physically, our, our physical health. It's an area that we all need to take an honest assessment in. I don't think that there's probably 5% of the men that listen to this that look at themselves physically and go, I am right where I need to be. Um, man, I'm I'm knocking it out. Another area was marriage, you know, looking and assessing our marriage. And it's something I've done all of 2023 and I will probably take into 2024 is breaking down the small little intricate pieces of my posture, uh, behavior towards my kids, behavior towards my wife, a behavior and responsibility of my family, asking hard questions and not defending the answers. Hey, what's the last thing that I did that made it really hard for you to love me? Wow. What, what kinds of things have I done that caused you not want to tell me the truth to my kids? You know, so a lot of times, man, we have to ask tough questions and it takes some courage to do that. And I'm not telling you that I'm, I'm the a model of courage, but I know that I'm going to get answers, man, that will ultimately help me. And then I don't go and soak in a corner when I get a, when I get a response that I'm not really hoping to get. Yeah. So it's, it's the, when you do that discipline and, and you get used to evaluating where you don't fall, where you don't hit the mark yeah. per se, that prepares you for those moments mm-hmm. where if somebody gives you feedback, everything in me wants to be defensive, but because I have this discipline, yeah. I, I can, I can actually welcome that into my life. And, you know, Stephen says, he says, enjoy the good, get to work on the bad. Mm, enjoy the good, get to work on the bad. Which, which is the thing that like, I, I could get into this part of evaluating mentally, but it's the getting to work part that often doesn't happen, yeah. you know, like, and it eventually, like I, I started going to therapy because I fell into depression mm-hmm. and I fell into depression because I had it all figured out, you know, <laughs> and all of the trauma, all of the pain that was in my body was not worked out, even though my brain thought it was. Yeah. And it got to the point where 
you know, I was, I was depressed. I think a healthy evaluation of where you fall short is what kind of dispels that. It, it, you can't get to that point where you're already, where you, you're desperate because you're in trouble. Sure. Right. Well, man, I want to, I want to remind you, Jay, that the life that you have lived and the fact that you uh, saw a need to go to counseling and I've gone as well and will continue to go, man. But those are things that we can mark as victories in our lives, because I tell my staff all the time that, man, we have to recognize the smallest of victories. Hey, you could have walked by that table without stopping to bus it, but you didn't. And when when I look at the larger picture, I go, well, that's your job not to walk by. But I have to accentuate the fact that you actually did it that you did your job. And as men, man, there are expectations and behaviors that we have uh, as uh, leaders, as uh, people that are employed, working for leaders in our homes, uh, with our peers and relationships. There are moments, man, that we get a small speck of it correct. And I think we have to get in the habit, man, of acknowledging those man to be able to build on it. So today I did X. Today I called that guy and I spent five minutes on the phone with him. Tomorrow or the next day or the next seven days, I may miss it, but I did it today. So that's something that we can build on. So if I sent you forward with something as we all go out and develop these spaces in our lives and these control rooms where we're going to sit and evaluate our lives, I think that first four or five times that you go and sit in that control room, the, uh, uh, developing the expertise or the ability to actually name a thing that you do well. And for me, man, I think it's going to take me two or three visits, honestly, sitting with myself to acknowledge something I, that I do well. But I, I know if it's a struggle for me, it's a struggle for Jay. It's a struggle for the men that listen. So I would encourage you in the first few times that you go and develop this area, this discipline in your life, that I want you to recognize three things that you do well, because the negatives and the things that you do poorly, I feel like that those are going to be much easier to consume and much easier to come up with, because deciding and fighting against the imposter syndrome is one of the great disciplines of manhood. To join the Great Man community or to book Stephen to speak at your man's event, go to greatman.tv. There, you'll also find incredible resources to help you become the great man you are made to be. The Great Man Podcast is a Wise Company production.